Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal story, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Hello, and welcome back to the Follow Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. I'm Grant McGall, and I'm here to guide you through yet another authentic conversation that promises to inspire and enlighten you. Today, we shine our spotlight on Dr. Curtis Charles of the University of West Indies. His tale from the challenges of youth to successes of today exemplifies that with unwavering determination, any setback can be transformed into a stepping stone. The future is both exciting and a tad mysterious. You've heard of the fourth industrial revolution, but what about the fifth? Charles, with his deep-rooted expertise, will bridge the gap between what we know and what's on the horizon, particularly in the spheres of education, data science, machine learning, and precision medicine. As we traverse this evolving terrain, we'll explore the profound influence of artificial intelligence on education. We'll grasp its transformative promise, the nuances, and the tangible shifts it brings. Learn how institutions like the University of West Indies are leading this wave and the critical role technology plays for our future trailblazers. Our journey today culminates with Dr. Charles reflecting on the unwavering support of his parents, a reminder that the foundations of our successes often trace back to the pillars of our personal life. So strap in for another deep dive into a story of resilience, innovation, and art. And here we are with Dr. Curtis Charles. We are building a five-star brand that you can follow on the Follow Brand Podcast. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Follow Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Grant McGall, and I get to go down south. When I say down south, I'm going way down south to the island of Antigua. We're going to be talking to a renowned professor, someone I have mad, mad, respect for. He's down there at the University of West Indies. He's he's opened up a very impressive uh, computer and an intelligence center there. I'm going to let him fill you in exactly what he, he's doing, what he's tinkering with. But we, we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity, especially in this new digital age that is taking place, that we have an opportunity to participate, that your voice is needed, that your ingenuity is needed. Your insight is needed to truly uplift this new paradigm into existence. So I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Curtis Charles. Thank you so much, Scott. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time to be here this afternoon and uh, this evening and talk to you a little bit. Absolutely. Let's let's start it first. You know, people have tuned into you and you and your and your story. And I find it intriguing because your, your your background your story like where you grew up how you got started is very common for a lot of different people as far as parentism you know the the working class individual how do you go from where you're at whether you're on an island you're in the urban areas of the, the u.s and how do you to how can you ascend and be actually be able to to tap into your potential and grow 
and become the academic powerhouse that you have become. Tell us a little bit about your, your story. Well, first of all, I, I give all honor to God and Grace. He is the only reason I could be here. Um, and, and, and I believe that everybody has a purpose. Um, in the Caribbean, actually anywhere where the British was colonialized, they have a system of education where at the age of 11, you sit a high-stake test. And if you pass that exam, you go on to high school. If you fail that exam, you're literally considered doomed to society. And I have to tell you, those exam results came out last week. And I had an opportunity to speak to some teachers two days ago. And I asked them, a room of like close to 100, how many of them failed that exam at 11? No one raised their hands. And then I tell them, the fortunate and unfortunate thing about this is that you have no idea what it is to fail at 11. You have no idea what failure is. And you have no empathy also for the people who have failed because everyone who passed this exam last week was have been celebrated and will continue to be celebrated. Most of some of the best high schools. And everyone who failed are forgotten. Um, so I'm part of the voice for the forgotten. I failed at exam at 11. And being one of um, seven children, I, you know, I, I was I was devastated. I mean, in those days, you know, the school was an old school. The principal announced the the people who pass and who fail on the on the PA system that everybody heard. And the indignity so much was he didn't even call my name. Everybody knew my father in Trinidad as Slappy Charles because he played soccer. And the legend goes, when he was playing college ball, he kicked the ball so hard that the goalkeeper and the ball went to the back of the net. So on that day, everybody called him Slappy. So he said, the, announced, the principal announced Slappy Charles' son failed common entrance. And I have to tell you, I felt like the earth could have opened up and just swallowed me. That was, that was probably the first time I felt, I felt that. Um, so for me, I, you know, I basically had to stay there until 14 years old in what they call post-primary. Sort of warehouse of kids until you become 14 and then they let you out. So from 14 to 17, I did everything legal. You know, I could sew anything that you have on. I learned tailoring at an early age. I loved to iron because that's the first thing you learn in a tailoring shop. I used to paint, so I used to create designs for models. Um, and I did everything legal because my father was a disciplinarian and my mom was there with us. So that was my story of failing that exam. And then at the age of 11, the skies opened up. I mean, the Lord opened the skies and there was a woman from England. She was then Dr. Stella Joseph. And in 1977, the Catholic Church was having what is called Assembly 77, which is a revival. And this woman came to pick me up. I didn't know the woman from Adam. I mean, I'd never seen her in my life. She had just married a Trinidadian, and she was this white um, British woman was just coming to take me. And within seconds of being in the car, she asked me, would you like to go to evening classes? Which was an insane question, because this was the first time the government of Trinidad and Tobago was doing remedial classes for students who went to high school and failed and needed to repeat. So... She picked me up the following day, as she promised. And I said, you know, to myself, God has a sense of humor because I was put in a calculus class. Now, I have no foundation of mathematics, period. I have, I just, I just, but something happened that first day. The teacher went outside to take a smoke. And, and I, I just, I don't know where the words came from, but I said, man, today I'm at the bottom of your class. Before I leave here, I'll be at the top of your class. And that just gave me the energy to be propelled to do the things that I needed to do. But to pay for those evening classes, the evening classes weren't free. I had to pay for the evening classes. So I would put uh, on my tall rubber boots that you normally go to the garden with, and I would put a pickaxe on my shoulder. And I would dig ditches um, so that they could run pipes under the earth, six-foot ditches in the hot sun. So that allowed me to pay for the evening classes. And then in order to pay for books, those white lines that you see, yellow lines that separate the streets in two ways, I would paint those lines in 116 degrees in Trinidad. 
um, and cars was going on either side. Um, God just had a plan for me that was different. I mean, I am certain in my mind that had I passed that common insurance exam at 11, which is what they call it then, I would not have been here speaking to you. I, I just know that my mission would have been, but I needed to fail to understand and empathize with the underrepresented and disenfranchised students. And that's why most of my life was spent at HBCUs because those students relate to me. I, I could understand those students. I mean, I, they, they needed me. You know, the bright, the bright students could go anywhere else, but these students needed to see someone, needed to see an example. So I went to these evening classes for two years. And, and you know, I, I'm really good that when God bless you, bless you big time. I mean, I just didn't get accepted to one university. I got accepted to four of the top universities. I got accepted to the Ohio State University School of Architecture, Washington State University, University of Miami, and Howard University. And my once I got accepted to Howard, it was a no-brainer. I mean, I wanted to go where the black maker was. Um, and I, you know, I basically became a man at Howard. So that was that was my first foray into how I got from where I am to to college, and then you know I went on to MIT for graduate school, and then I did my PhD at Morgan State, and then I did a master's degree in predictive analytics at Northwestern University. And you know it was funny. I asked the audience of teachers two days ago. They, it was a remarkable introduction. It was a remarkable introduction. I, I mean, I couldn't. I was surprised at the introduction. And then I asked them, would you believe if I tell you the person who was just introduced never went to high school? Yeah. And they just, I mean, the room just got still. And so for me, that's that's how I, I start my talking engagements. I mean, my my parents, my parents knew what they were doing when they named me. You know, my I always believe, even in the Bible, that naming is important. So my name is Curtis Barnabas Charles. And Barnabas, as you know, if there wasn't Barnabas, we would not have had the epistles because when Paul was struck and after he was healed of his blindness, he wanted to follow Christ. But to do that, he was just killing, he was just killing Jews. So to do that, he had to be ushered into the church of Jerusalem. Barnabas sponsored him into the church of Jerusalem. And I believe fundamentally that's my role to be the Barnabas of the underrepresented and disenfranchised. Um, so I am I am highly pleased that God favored me enough to walk in my calling. I have no doubt that I'm walking in my calling. There is no doubt that I believe that as as well, because the the demonstration uh, of the truth is in your life and what you've been able to accomplish. My question is this, because you had to tap into some confidence. I mean, you you're saying you just walked into a calculus class. I mean, that's a very high-end mathematic class in which you took that on and that you began to master it to a point where you got accepted at four universities. When did you realize that you had the aptitude, that you had the understanding, that you had a gift that you were able to demonstrate? And I, I, I tell you, that's why I say God has a plan for all of us because it, it was God's plan that I go to that calculus class. But like, like the prophet, when he was taking his son to the mountain to sacrifice, and God says, no, take the ram instead. God always have a ram in the bush. Um, and my brother, my younger brother, was that ram in the bush. My younger brother won the Island Scholarship for Mathematics. He's a mathematics whiz. He's an actuary right now. And um, what takes like a year or a year and a half we did in six months i passed that calculus exam in in six months and we had what is you know a shotgun house and my parents were in the first room and my parents would tell us go to bed at 10 o'clock well we would put a towel on the on the crease so the light doesn't go through and my brother would just hit the books with me until morning and that's so i thank my brother for for teaching me it was humbling you know I was the older brother. He was younger. He was very, very intelligent in math. Not always he wanted to do it, but he did it. And I thank him up to this day because he was my foundation in mathematics. And as you just talk about science, technology, engineering, and math, math is the foundation of everything that we have to do 
if as a people we need to move forward. So, so for me, once you know, it was incremental. You know, my my father was a disciplinarian, and you know, with my brother, I didn't just go to high school and get in Trinidad and Caribbean. You have to passes. We have math, English, French, chemistry, biology, etc. Um, it's not just a high school diploma you get at the end. So we, once I passed math and English, I realized, wait, I mean, I think I could do this. And I just continued and continued until I had the requirement to come to the United States to get accepted. But in between there is, is you know, I, I, I talk a lot about angels in my life, but I also, you know, there's, there's some... There's a second time in my life when I felt like the earth could have opened up during this process. I think I had four subjects at that point in time, four or five, and I'd gotten three. I always wanted to go to MIT. I, I just knew no one in the Caribbean who had gone to MIT, but I believed that I wanted to do science and technology. Um, and I had these subjects, and I had three recommendations that I needed a fourth. And I remember this guy used to give evening classes in Trinidad. I used to go to his evening classes. My brothers went to him. And I figured he would be the person to give me a good recommendation. I could see it like the day is that I could see this. But I did days so many years ago, and I could see it like that. I rang his bell a Sunday afternoon. And his from this door to his bell was about 15 feet. He remained on the porch. And I said, Mr. So-and-so, I'd be really grateful if you could give me uh, recommendation to MIT. Now, he hasn't ushered me into that door or beyond that front gate. He looked at me and he says, Curtis, you could never get into MIT. Mm. And then he closed the door and I was frozen. I mean, I was literally frozen that at a second time the door got shut on me. And you know, some people say failure is God's way of pushing you in another direction, or it's his direction. And maybe I wasn't, my role wasn't to go to undergraduate at MIT, because <laughs> the greatest thing that happened to me in my life was graduate studies at MIT. I mean, I, in, in architecture school at Howard, you have to do a thesis. And in 20, uh, 1925, what I'm saying, 1925, 19, what is it, 19, 1980, 1985, because I graduated in 86, 1985, I went home to Trinidad and I was talking to my dad. I said, Dad, why it is that farmers plant in the sunny season and reap in the rainy season and they cause a bad drainage, it wipes out the crops and they get compensated by the government and prices go up every year. My dad said, let's just put a tackle in over all the agricultural products. So that we can't really do that. But that was the beginning of my thought because I wanted to come up with a technology solution for agricultural products. So I left there and I went back to the US and I was heading to Japan. A group of us was heading to Japan with some faculty. And as I came out of the aircraft from Japan, it said Scuba International Science and Technology Expo. I was like, Jesus, this, this is God. Because this is, I got to go there, but I only had $15. So I, I literally passed the hat with my professors and got some money to go there. And the first pavilion I went into was called the Home Pavilion. And there were 15,000 tomatoes growing on acres of covered, um, covered landscape, growing in nutrient solution and piping sunlight via fiber optics. So the technology of the fiber optics was Fresnel lens inside a globe that was three meters wide. And there was a micropulse computer that tracked the sun wherever the sun went. And as the sun moves, it piped the sunlight into Fresnel lens and then through fiber optics. And the nature of fiber optics is that it could go anywhere. So you would have light going through these cables. And oh my God, I started taking photographs. And I came back and I didn't speak a lick of Japanese then. But I came back and I met the company that was a representative in the U.S. And in 1988, the man who was in charge of the research, his father was the, if you look at Forbes magazine, his father was the richest man in the world. 
So he had, Dr. Mori had the money to do this. And it so happened that when I got accepted to MIT, Dr. Dr. Mori and the director of laboratory were close friends like this. And I tell people, that's only God. I mean, that's, <laughs> how does that happen? So they came to the U.S. They asked me before I went to MIT, they asked me to make a presentation. We signed a contract for 20000 went back to Japan in 1988, came back with 15 grand and, and an additional 15 to help me with my research. Um, but it was food production in a controlled environment on land at sea and in space. So my path has been always, you know, some people say it's gumption. Some people say it's, you know, some people it says bad mind. But it was something in me that didn't want to fail anymore. And I tell students all the time, failure and mediocrity should be like hives on your skin. I mean, when you have hives, you just, hives, it scratches you. So you don't want to go through that. So be of your best. And, and, and for me, I, I, had, I had the village. You know, my mother, my father, my, my siblings. I had people encouraging me everywhere. And that's what I would say to someone, you fail at this, something that's devastating like this, you got to get up. You got to fail. You got to get up. Satya Nadal at Microsoft when I was there used to say, fail, fail quickly and go again. Right. We're going we're to fail. That's the growth mindset. The growth mindset is that you're going to fail, get up, fail, get up, fail, get up, but learn from it as you go forward. And that has been, that has been my path. It has been, it's been a long path, but I... I I have to tell you, I've never gotten up one morning and say I hate to go to work. Yeah, we pointed to the next generation. You you got a, you, that's a life of purpose, and you were focused, and I, I like your resolve, and 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 the ability to move forward. You did get an MIT. I think that it is awesome. You've worked at prestigious institutions, and the network of individuals that you've met along the way are are outstanding. I want to change the conversation just a little bit. I need our audience to truly understand the impact of what you have coined to be the um, the fifth. We, we call it the fifth industrial evolution. Revolution. Yeah. Why this is so important that we we've got to empower our 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 children, our children's children. People are in, in right now, and to understand where we're at, where they need to go, and where this will take us. Help us understand the implications of this new industrial revolution. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group, keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Thank you. So at every industrial revolution, we have educated the population to fulfill those needs. When we move in the second industrial revolution from steam to electricity, we train people on electricity, right? How to, what's the impact of the electricity? When we move from electricity to the third industrial revolution of information technology, everyone was learning information technology because now companies had to outfit the network. So no longer you would have one, one computer in one place, you would have these wires running and then it was wireless network. And then there was wide area network. Well, you had to not only relearn how you communicate with each other, but you also have to learn how you communicate at a distance as well. Then the internet came in and complemented that. And now we could communicate with everyone, like we're communicating with in different parts of the world. Well, the fourth industrial revolution um, came in about 20 
T15. Um, and the fourth industrial revolution is the convolution of biological, physical, and cyber systems. And that is defined by artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud computing, internet of things, robotics, automation, bioinformatics. These are some of the characteristics that has transformed businesses. The fifth industrial revolution is humans interacting with the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution. So the reason why I talk about the fourth industrial revolution is because the fifth really hasn't started as yet. And we shouldn't be waiting for something to start to talk about the expectation or to train our students to put those expectations. So when I let me talk about training students, we're training students for the future of work that hasn't even thought about as yet. Don't you, you have to realize that like data science is one, data science is using big data to, to, to determine patterns and trends of how to make decisions. That wasn't a job six years ago. <laughs> so the fifth, the fourth industrial revolution is what is transforming all the industry. And, and I'll give you an example. You can't go into any new building without some type of biometrics. I mean, you go to the airport and there's biometrics. There's something that's looking at your eyes, looking at your features, looking at your gait to understand if your gait, if, are you too heavy on the left side that you may be carrying ammunition or are you too heavy on the right side? Um, is this person walking? And the computer is going to tell you, is this person walking as a normal person? Biometrics. So those are, those, those are one element. But when you think about what do you think about machine learning? I always like to give this an example so people understand what machine learning is. When the first computer was being built um, at MIT, it was a huge thing like this room. And the engineer got a little bit tired. So he got a little bit bored. So the computer was already operational. So he created a checkers game. He played the computer and he won. 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 At so five o'clock, he decided to pack it up, he went home. Next morning, he came. He played the computer, he lost. He played the computer, he lost. He played the computer, he lost. And that is the essence of machine learning. When the computer was losing, the computer was looking at all the moves. It was losing. Was learning. So machine learning is, is, is human-like interactions that machines do. So he was learning. So when the guy went home, remember the computer is not sleeping. The computer was taking all those permutations and combinations and what a guy would have moved from five to this place to that place, the computer could have taken that and make an infinite amount of moves. So when the guy who went home to sleep <laughs> came back to play, he never beat the computer. Now let's take that to a level where people could understand. We are looking at, um, we're developing a degree in generative pharmacy right now. Doesn't exist anywhere, doesn't exist. We wanted to start, so the community college came to us and said, would we start a pharmacy program? I said, no, it's, we're not interested in a pharmacy program. It's not in our global sphere, right? We don't have a plan, said, but I'm interested in generative pharmacy. Generative pharmacy is how you use artificial intelligence to create drugs. So I'm interested in our people not being only fishing, but knowing how to fish to feed for themselves. So that now all the local medications, we could use the attributes of these local medications to figure out which one of them could be commercialized and create a whole industry that complements tourism. So now you could have tourism pharmacy because part of using this technology is how do you use generative pharmacy to create a drug for you, Mr. Grant? that you alone will fit rather than creating a general drug. It's also precision medicine. You hear um, Hopkins talk a lot about precision medicine, but precision medicine all happens with artificial intelligence. And the best example I give people, you know why drugs are so expensive? Because it takes over 10 years to master the molecules and define it and make a drug. That's why it's expensive originally. So if you take that in one hand, and you take the fact in the other hand that in COVID, a drug was created in two years. You have to ask yourself, why am I being charged so much for this? 
The reality is that if you consider big data analytics, what they were able to do in two years was look at the data across the world of everybody that was doing similar research and pull that data into cloud computing and use computer science algorithms to run algorithms to see the patterns and trends of who is close and who is not close. And boom, we create a drug in two years. That's what I want our people to do. And that's machine learning. So for me, I, I, really, I really look at it, you know, not only the Caribbean, but my heart is at HBC too, because I think the HBCUs need to basically do that. We need to have a different mindset. The good thing about where we are is that we are the nearest campus of the University of West Indies. We have a clean slate and we have the opportunity to define academic programs based on when we were born. It is very, very important to know when you were born. If you look through the Bible again, dates are very, very interesting. We were born in 2019. Our university started with 174 students in 2019. Well, 2019 was the height of the fourth industrial revolution. So you cannot prepare students for 2060 disciplines if you're in 2019. If you're at the height of this revolution, you have to basically prepare students to fulfill that workforce globally. Because we're not only talking about the Caribbean. Because our students are competing with students from China, Pakistan, and India. That's who our students are going to be competing with. And that's why we, when I came in here in 2020, there were three schools. There was the School of Business and Management, there was the School of Health and Behavioral Sciences, and the School of um, Humanities and Education. And I, I don't know if anybody was talking about artificial intelligence before. I, I just don't know. But I knew every opportunity I got, I talked about the fourth industrial revolution, the fifth industrial revolution. And I was talking to the principal, who's like the president, saying, we should probably start an institute. So well, why don't you write a paper? And I was presenting the paper, and midway he said, man, we need to go for the school. So I did exactly what he said in the opening. I, I, my vast network, I pulled on my vast network. We met for several months, guys from, and ladies from in technology. And we brainstormed how we could start this new school. And we wanted to be bold and audacious, you know. So we said, look, University of West Indies has a school of engineering, they have a school of science. But they don't have a school of science, computer, and artificial intelligence. So one faculty says, well, you're being redundant because artificial intelligence is part of computer science. I said, okay, that's your opinion. It might be true. It is true. But so he said, well, you should name your school something else. I said, no, I want our students to identify that they are in a school of science, computing, and artificial intelligence. And I want them to understand that this is where the future is. So our goal is to make sure that all the students eventually graduate data literate. So what a school is, is meant to not only produce the next tech generation, but also to be catalytic. And to be catalytic in the sense that students from the School of Business and Management cannot afford to graduate without understanding business intelligence. Because if they go to Pricewaterhouse or any of the big five, you have to understand business intelligence. You have to understand, um, you have to understand cyber if you're in accounting, forensics accounting. If you're in the School of Health and Behavioral Sciences, everything about COVID was data. You fill out that form. I don't know if anybody realized how much information you give these people when you fill out that form for COVID. Now think about that for you. It isn't really impactful. That for your household, it really isn't impactful. But for all of Maryland, if you take those forms and run algorithms, now you can see the patterns of who is close to who, who visited somebody who had COVID recently? Should we quarantine those people? And that's where data governance comes in because now with all that information that we just give freely to get the vaccination, who does the, who does the information belong to? We have no types of laws like that in the US. Europe has some very strict laws where you have control of your data and you could say what your data wants. So the fifth industrial revolution is all of these that's passed in our black communities. I mean, and my goal is when I have speaking opportunities like this and when I'm, when I'm talking to young students, let them say, look, we need to wake up. We are in the fifth industrial revolution. We, so my, our role is to prepare students, as I mentioned, for the future of work, not for now, for the future of work. Because if we are at a 
point where we are preparing students for the information age. That means that we need to give them the tools for information. We, they don't have, they, my, those students, I was, I did the pickaxe, so our students will have to do pickaxe. They don't have to dig the, right. They, they, they have a computer keyboard. So the fifth industrial revolution is how do we bring human interaction with artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud computing, internet of things. And that brings into, if you, if you think about just, if you think about Miami, you think about any major city, cities of the future. So what would our cities of the future look like? Well, our cities of the future are going to have all these technologies. Are we going to have, uh, um, you know, uh, are you going to have a, a huge city similar to Amazon? The, the thing that makes Amazon successful is what we call Amazon takes your patterns and Amazon then recommend. So in computer science, we call it recommending technology. So Amazon is running a recommendation algorithm on you every time you go to buy something at Algorithm because the recommendation system is remembering what you bought the last time. The best recommendations algorithm in the, in, the, in the world is Netflix right now. Netflix knows when you go up on your home screen, it pushes all the types of movies similar to the one that you run. So that's recommendation system, and that's how artificial intelligence and machine learning works in this in a real sense. Every day, every day we pick up ourselves, we pick up our iPhone, and we use our face recognition, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. So, so it's important that we understand the fifth industrial revolution. This is so interesting because this is the the new way. I remember even being in, in high school in the 81, I think it was. I got out. I'm dating myself, but it was true. And I I remember going to DeVry Institute of Technology to, just to learn um, computer science. And really, it was uh, uh, the understand electrical engineering and understand how to actually build physically the infrastructure of a computer, right? They call the memory modules and things that they actually building it up. Things have gotten so different now that before for software engineering you needed to learn a lot of code you needed to understand a lot of language now it's becoming modular what do i mean by that is that you don't need to know the intricacies of a lot of the programming any longer as long as you understand how to build the blocks to build what you want you're going to start getting into what we call digital twinning uh, and you're kind of alluding to that with the human interaction now with the intelligent layers. What that's going to really look like is you duplicate it yourself in, in a lot of different ways and then being able to interact and understanding business intelligence, artificial intelligence, and then cognitive intelligence. That's going to be the next wave where CI and quantum computing. But we've got to get our the the language of where things are going. And the understanding of where business and life, basically human life, is uh, evolving into is that we understand where our kids, because our kids are interacting with this, with this intelligence every day. You're utilizing a mobile computer, you're utilizing social engineering or social media, you're already interacting and you can now be creative. So the creative economy is what's coming on, on top. We've, let, we've created the analytical layer, and the analytical layer is pretty much built. You could think of that like the railroad system, but now we're going to put the train on the tracks. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's a, great, it's a great time in technology to be alive. I, I, I would tell any young person, AI and artificial intelligence is going to impact whatever you do, whatever job that you in. So I, you know, parents have young kids, and there's a STEM camp. Take them to the STEM camp. We had a STEM camp on campus a few a few weeks a few years ago, and um, sorry, okay, a few years ago, and they um, and and the students were building robotics on campus. You know, it's it it was it was a tremendous opportunity to see them. We're going to continue, uh, and that's where I want to see our kids get involved. We need to get them yes. access. We have to have access. The access is getting easier. 
So you can see how these things, you see the fusion, like you even just mentioned like Netflix and you start seeing how you now can create your own Netflix type channel, you know, through the creativity that is available to you that would have never been available. I think about, hey, in my day, we had three television stations and a couple of radio stations. Now you can create your own radio. You can create your yeah. own TV. You have your own station. This is explosive technology on steroids that hasn't even got rolling yet. And I, I'm glad you are cutting it. Help us, because we're going to conclude here. Yeah. But we want to know, help our kids. If you're talking to parents now, they're like, wow, all right, I see where I'm at. Because talking to that K through 12, so they can get to be a student at EWI within your academic campus. What should they be doing right now, in your opinion? You know, students right now should be focusing on every, almost every discipline. You need to have math English, right? So you need to be proficient in math. You need to be proficient in English. But even if a student comes into our university weak in math, um, like I was when I went to Howard many years ago, um, we have developed what is called a Center for Academic Reinforcement. So the Center for Academic Reinforcement would be students who may came come in and didn't have math, but has a desire to study one of the disciplines of the campus. Um, they have an opportunity to catch up with everybody else without being left behind. You know, when I talk to an audience in the U.S. and I talk about the, the Caribbean, you know, it's not, you normally have more Caribbean students going to the U.S. to study. But when we think about for young black males or even our black daughters um, in the U.S., um, Antigua and Barbuda is safe. Um, that's one of the first things a student or parent think about when their children go into another country. It is small. Um, we are part of a university system. The University of the West Indies system is about 50,000 students strong with five campuses. We're in the top 1.5% of colleges in the world. Um, we're 75 years old, um, starting our 76 next year. And it has been the backbone of the Caribbean. Um, if you think about it, when the colonialists, British colonialists and Spanish, and they left, they didn't leave an education system. So the University of West Indies was the entity that educated most people in the Caribbean. I'm, I'm probably a misnomer, an outlier of having all my degrees in the U.S. because they didn't have architecture when I, when I studied. But the reality is 27 of our prime ministers throughout the Caribbean went uh, to the University of the West Indies. So it's and all of our students who leave here from undergraduate and go to graduate school in the U.S. and abroad excel tremendously. So if this is if if, if a parent is thinking about safety, if a parent is thinking about um, cutting edge disciplines, um, our campus in Antigua is is a good place to look. And and we're not you know we're not that, that expensive um, for building capacity for our students. You know we have the an interdisciplinary degree in data science, computer science, and innovation management. Only place that exists is at MIT. When I heard about that degree, I reached out to some of my colleagues at MIT and said, look, we're a young university. This is the area that we're going in. Would you help us develop this program without thinking twice? They say, absolutely. Um, MIT is $35,000 a year. We have about $10,000 a year um, for that program for foreign students. Um, so, I mean, we're not MIT, we know that, but 10,000 and 35,000 is a huge disparity, um, huge difference. Um, so, you know, we pride ourselves in in one thing. If the, there's an old fable with African fable that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. So my middle name besides Barnabas is collaboration. And that's the motto of our universities as well. The size, our size doesn't matter. I mean, the, the main campus is like 16,000. I mean, we're going to be 1,000 at the end of this month. But one of the things that we know for sure is that we serve in the mission of access. Our students right now that we serve, and that's why I could transfer my skills, are very much where our first-generation HBCU students work. These are first-generation students coming here for a tuition that's about close to 2,000 U.S. a year for them, for world-class degree. The government compensates a lot. Um, there are students who are still on... Um, payment plans, right? So these are students who don't have an example at home, 
they're first generation. They understand the power of um, power of education, which is what I preach all the time. I tell them when they come here, it's no longer about them. It's no longer about them. It's about the generation behind them that they have to. And I, I normally show them my family. I show my four kids. My first kid is an attorney. Second is a family. Then my daughter's doing a PhD in chemistry. She's a PhD candidate at the Ohio State. My son is an entrepreneur. And I say that not to, because that's not me, that's all God. But I say that, that if I didn't pick up that pickaxe and put on that tall boots and dig those ditches, none of these kids and, their grand, and my grandkids would have been possible. So I try to tell my students that, look, there's a whole generation behind you that's waiting for you. But you have to rise up. If you don't rise up, and I try to tell them the transformative nature of education. Listen, I have no doubt in my mind of what my life would have been had I stayed home. I, I, I see it when I travel, when I go back home. So I know the transformative nature. I have to tell you, I, man, I have to tell you, I just love, I just love education. Yes. I love the opportunity to be able to be an instrument for our students wherever I go, based on all the mentors that mentored me, because I know you can't do this alone. I, you know, I call them all the time angels. I mean, I could plot on a, on a graph how many people assisted me. So I'm always willing to assist students. I'm always, I'm always saying, look, you can do better than this. I mean, we have a student who came in here. I was to tell you, I said, man, you bothered me every night. <laughs> Every night before he came, Dr. Charles, do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this? And I challenged a group of them this summer to do an app. And he ended up taking the challenge seriously. And he championed the app. I told him the other day, I said, man, you are going to be one of the greatest computer scientists. I, 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 listen, I'm not telling this kid because of that, because he reminds me of myself, of having this gumshell to really create something that doesn't exist. And I think that's the, that's the beautiful thing about design. My wife says all the time, she says, you have two architecture degrees. How come you're not practicing? I said, I'm designing students every day. <laughs> I mean, every, every day we design architecture, academic program, but, but it's, I, I, love, I love the fact that I, I don't know how many people will say this, but I love the fact that I failed. I love the fact that I failed that exam at 11. And I love the fact that by failing that exam, I with so many disappointments, Lord, the Lord give me empathy for my students. Because I know my students are going to fail as well. I, I talked to them the first day they came in. And I told them, and they were surprised. I said, you are going to fail. The question is, what do you do when you fail? You are going to fail. And you know what's funny? My wife, I always say with my wife, she gives it to you without seasoning. At least she gives it to me without seasoning. So <laughs> one day, one day I was boasting. We were passing Howard University. We were in DC for some meeting. I told her I, I, I had no Fs. I had, I had no that means I had no Fs. My wife said, "Why don't we just stop and get a copy of your transcript?" Man, I forgot I had a couple Fs. I completely forgot. <laughs> she called me on my bluff. I completely, I completely, I had a couple of, so I told her, I said, I had to repeat classes as well, but I finished. Yes. And no one ever asked me what my transcript looked like. Everybody knows that I finished. And I finished and I graduated. On yes. That's what counts. That's what counts. That is like absolutely what counts. Not how you start this, how you finish. How you finish, and you've got to, as you said, you've got to fall down for you. Got to, you've got to crawl, you got to walk, and then you, you can run, and that's all of us. And you will fall down along the way. You're going to scrape a couple of knees, but you got to continue to move forward. But you got to have that drive, that passion, yeah. that resilience. And I like how you coined that. You're leaving a legacy for the next stop. And if it wasn't for your brother, we're going to give a big shout out yeah. to your brother because what Neville, you know? my brother Neville. Oh, he was, he was he was the bush. Oh, he was. He was. He, he said, "You're gonna learn calculus, man." That was that's brotherly love, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Sir. <laughs> so, if the audience would like to get in touch with you, I know they know about UWI, University of West Indies. Tell yes. them how to get in contact with you so they can get more information. 
and move this needle forward? Sure. There are a couple of ways you could follow me on Instagram at, at Dr. Charles UWI. That's at Dr. Charles UWI. You could also reach me at my email, which is curtis.charles at uwi.edu. Or you can call me on my U.S. number. Um, it's 910-431-9718. That's 910-431-9718. Or the easiest email is charles at mit.edu. Charles at alum.mit.edu. Charles at alum.mit.edu. One of those would work. But I, I'll be happy if somebody wants me to talk to the kid, if somebody wants me to talk to um, the church or whatever. I'm, I'm always... I'm always willing to, to share my testimony because it certainly is a testimony. It certainly is. And we're going to take you up on that as we're going to developing STEM programs throughout the U.S. wherever we, we can. It's so, so important. This has been wonderful. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm very, 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 very proud of you. I am so, so glad that not only did you educate yourself, you're educating others. And I think that is so important. And you are definitely a, a figure of uh, resilience. We're going to have a statue. That's what, that's what we're going to call it. You know, the Dr. Uh, Curtis Charles, you know, resilient statue. Because you've got you've to be resilient in these days. And this, this is wonderful. Now, I love your testimony of where we're going. And this is this fifth industrial revolution. So thank you so much. I want to encourage your entire audience. They can tune in to all the episodes. We've got over 100 to 200 different people similar to uh, Dr. Charles talking about these things that you can get your education, whether it's in business development, career development, financial empowerment, uh, brand mastery, executive presence. All these things are so, so important as you go into technology innovation on a real live level. So you tune in to Five Star BDM. That's the number five. That's star B for brand, D for development, and for masters.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Thank Charles. You. I forget to give my parents credit. Oh, this you can do it right now. My parents, the only thing on my wall in this office are my parents' photographs. And talk. My dad passed a couple, um, a few years ago, but my mom is going strong. And, you know, I figured the only, that's the best way to honor them so that there's no photographs of anything else in my office but my parents looking down on me, and, and I really feel blessed for that. That is a great, great, great blessing, and I want to thank them for having you and all your sisters and brothers. This is wonderful. Thanks thank again you, for being on The Follow Brand. Appreciate it. Have a blessed weekend. You too.